Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. When Education Minister Dan Tian announced that the free childcare program introduced at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic was coming to an end earlier than expected... The temporary childcare package, which includes free childcare, will end on 12 July. There were cries from many Aussies worried about how they were now expected to afford to send their children to daycare when they were on reduced hours or reduced pay or unemployed and looking for work. That was a massive relief for us. Having that additional support meant that we could continue to work on our business. Today, we look at what it would take to reform the pre-pandemic system or extend the free program for at least the next few months, what it will cost and how we can make the system fairer for all of us. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. If you have childcare-aged kids or know someone who does, you may have heard complaints about the amount they pay in fees each week. For the parents of one kid, it's expensive. For the parents of two, almost bank-breaking. For more than that, it may not even be an option. The cost is that prohibitive. But how do you then make ends meet when you can't afford to go to work, but you can't afford not to? Women invariably are the ones who are more likely to be hobbled by the Australian childcare system, in an effect referred to as the motherhood penalty. It results in us having less super at retirement, missed promotions and career opportunities, and a range of experts explaining how if you couldn't afford to have children, you shouldn't have, who also tell us that the population growth isn't high enough for the level of economic growth we aspire to, while also making sure you work enough hours to access childcare subsidies, but also not too much that you don't lose it. So when the Prime Minister made this announcement back in April... We'll be ensuring for those parents who are still in that position where they are needing that childcare, it will be free. Parents everywhere rejoiced at the saving of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, at least in the short term. But then came the announcement on Monday that this would all be ending much sooner than expected and that the people who work in childcare, who are already well-documented as being underpaid for the work they do, an industry dominated by women workers, were also informed that despite assurances from the Prime Minister just a few days earlier that JobKeeper payments would continue through until September, they would actually be the first in the nation to have them cut on July 20. So why is the system designed to help Australians get back to work, the thing our PM has been urging us to do for weeks despite the continuing threat of the COVID-19 coronavirus, then be pulled out from under those who need it most at a most vulnerable time? Well, first, we need to look at what was flawed about the pre-pandemic system that we'll be returning to after July 20. 
Board Director of not-for-profit organisation The Parenthood, Georgie Dent explains. The pre-pandemic system is very complex, it's very fragmented and it is very, very expensive for parents but also it pays the workforce, which is predominantly females, very, very badly. So early childhood educators are among the lowest paid workers in Australia and that is a problem because of the qualifications they have and because of the skills that they have. But it's also a problem because the cost of care is very high in global terms for what Australian parents pay. Do we know why it's so high here in Australia? Is there a reason for it? Yes. So childcare is really expensive here in Australia because of the various systems that we have put in place at different times to try and deliver this education. So we have had all sorts of subsidy models that have been tweaked over the years. But the problem is a lot of the subsidies have not actually gone to reducing substantially the out-of-pocket cost to parents and hasn't delivered any meaningful increase in what educators are paid. And so the government for the last 10 years has been spending more and more and more money each year on subsidies, but it's actually being consumed in the system. It's not actually going to making it more affordable for families or for making the workforce better paid. So there has been a case for reforming the way we fund early childhood education and care for a long time, but this pandemic has really exposed the flaws and I would say has exacerbated those. I had someone ask me the other day why childcare or preschool isn't funded the same way that public schools are. Is that part of the suggested reform that we look at that as part of the whole education system? Yeah, absolutely. So what a lot of other developed countries have done, and have done this for a long time, is treat the pre-primary education, so what we would call early childhood education and care, as part of the education system. And going down that path means that you're really working towards universal access so that any child who's of a particular age in a particular area is entitled to either free care or highly subsidised care. So, I mean, it's interesting, even in the UK, the Conservative government has gone down this path and it has really pushed Um, access for three and four-year-olds, regardless of what their parents do, of ensuring that they have access to highly subsidised care and education because it is such a compelling investment. For every dollar that the government spends on pre-primary education, we get $2 back in return. And that is money that we get back not just because we facilitate parents to be able to participate in paid work, but it's because for children who have that early education access, they arrive at school ready to learn and they have an advantage that is carried with them over the course of their schooling lives and then in their working lives beyond. So investing in high quality early learning is one of the most compelling investments that a government can make in its future. There's been a lot of discussion about what the pandemic has exposed as far as the Australian childcare system goes. And when the Prime Minister said that it would be free for the short term, there was a sigh of relief across the country, not just from those who've had their work or their pay interrupted by this pandemic, but parents in general who struggle to pay fees. But we know that the model that currently exists for free childcare is not sustainable. So what do we do? How much would it cost us and how do we pay for it? Well, I think the important thing to remember is in this situation, it can be tempting to think that there are only two options and that those two options are either the old broken model or the interim rescue package, when the reality is 
it is time for a new solution. And it is time for a new solution that addresses the issue of affordability. Because in global terms, an Australian family with two children in care spends roughly 25% of their household income on childcare. Now, in the OECD countries, the average spend on childcare is 11%. So we know here that it is very, very expensive. And when we've had an economy that hasn't been struggling and we've had fairly high employment, the model has sort of worked. I mean, there's always been problems, but we've been able to manage. This pandemic has fundamentally changed the economy and the employment position of families right now. Now, whether that is resolved in the next three months, it seems very unlikely. But even if it takes a year, we are looking at a very different economic picture. And what was affordable in families back in February is not going to be affordable now. And so we would say this is an opportunity where we have to actually look at how we deliver this service. And we do have to look at spending more money, but being more efficient in the way we spend that money. It's true that we already do spend a lot of money. You know, the government spends about $8 billion in subsidies a year, but individual parents also spend $6 billion for care. So, you know, it's not that we haven't got parents footing the bill, they are. But I think that if you looked at a different model where you streamlined the way this service is delivered, you could potentially save money. So it wouldn't be a matter of saying, you know, it's a bottomless pit of money that this would cost. But if you absorbed it into the education department and started looking at it through that lens, I think we would get further. Because with any government spend, you've got to look at what is the return on that money. Now, just last week, you know, we've had this construction package announced. And certainly that may be a stimulus and get some people back to work and it might ensure that, you know, people can do these things to their houses. But long term, there's not going to be an incredible return for us from the short term relief that that package delivers. If you were to put that money towards investing in early education, we're going to see immediate benefits from that in financial terms because of what it facilitates. Because anything that makes it more difficult for families to return to work at the moment is really problematic for the entire economy, not just in individual households. And what we know that because of the job and income losses that households are facing, returning to the old childcare model is simply not going to be feasible. So lots of families, and and families have told us this, they're going to have to reduce the number of days their children attend care. And in many cases, they're going to have to cut the paid work they do have because of that. And that is a disaster for the economy in terms of anyone that's employed. We need to be facilitating that employment to continue. But also for them to find work again, they need to be able to have care arranged for their kids so that when a job does become available, they can accept it. Georgie, how much can we read into the language being used by our government in the restarting of this post-pandemic economy? We're hearing about a tradie-led recovery and construction stimulus and then an announcement that JobKeeper will be stopped for childcare workers. It feels like this is a very gender inequitable restart of this economy. You would be hard-pressed to find a package that was less geared towards delivering any benefit to women than the construction package because we know that construction is the second most highly male-dominated sector in Australia. We know that it's also across the board one of the better paid sectors. 
differences. So when you consider that early childhood educators in Australia are predominantly women and they are very, very lowly paid in comparison to, you know, a metal fitter with a similar certificate three level of training earns about $40 an hour, whereas an early childhood educator with the same certificate three on average earns about $21 an hour. So there is a huge discrepancy there. And the idea that this sort of package that's aimed at a very well-paid male workforce, it's difficult to accept when we know that the reality of the childcare rescue package has been that it's been individual services and lots of individuals, women who run family daycare services, for example, have been personally bearing the cost of this rescue package. And they have been, in so many cases, they have had to redraw down on their mortgage or they're accessing their super early, all of these things just to survive. And so it's really difficult then to accept that investing in a construction package for families that, I mean, for any family to be able to afford $125,000 renovation on the house for a new kitchen or a new bathroom, I, do, I, th- I think you'd struggle to find something less equitable in its impact. Is childcare in Australia, the pre-pandemic model of childcare in Australia, actually shaping the form of families in Australia? Has it become part of the discussion when you have kids these days that can we afford to have one kid or more in childcare? Absolutely. And I think it is not a coincidence that in Australia we have got a relatively low rate of women's workforce participation because we have not invested in the pieces of social infrastructure that we know facilitate families to combine paid and unpaid responsibilities. And childcare is a key piece of infrastructure that we don't have. So in countries around the world where they have access to affordable, high-quality care, it is easier for families to combine paid work with their family responsibilities. Here in Australia, in a lot of cases, because of the way our taxation system works, but also because of the price of care, it is not economical for lots of families to have a secondary earner working more than three days a week. And we know that in families around Australia, it is a very genuine conversation that happens between couples when they become parents, who is going to work and how are they going to work. And we know that the cost of care acts as a genuine deterrent for for, for parents returning to work after they have children. And that is very costly for Australia. It's costly because, A, it means we've got a really well-educated, highly professional, highly skilled female population that we do not facilitate to participate in work. So they cannot reach their full potential. They also can't contribute to, you know, the country's productivity and our bottom line. But it also sets them up for a lifetime of financial insecurity because, you know, one of the best insurance policies any person can have in terms of creating some financial security and independence, it is to maintain a connection with paid work. And what we see is women in Australia, because of not just the cost of childcare, but the combination of having really inadequate paid parental leave combined with very expensive childcare means that so many Australian women leave work when they have children rather than continue. And then there is a price to be paid for that because then depending on what happens over the course of their lives, we know that now women over 55 are the fastest growing group of homeless people in Australia. And it's because they've spent their lives caring, they've been earning less, they've had breaks from the workplace, not because they didn't have a work ethic, but because it was too expensive to work. 
And then at the end of their life, they don't have the same amount of super that a male of their age or stage might have. If they haven't maintained a connection to the workforce, it's very difficult to rejoin the workforce and get paid work and particularly not be paid at the way that they should be paid had they worked over the course of their lives. And so, yeah, absolutely, childcare, the broken model that we have for childcare entrenches the gender inequality that we have. So we may have just missed a window to reform the Australian childcare system. And again, it seems that Australia's obsession with men being the breadwinner has trumped a solution that would have been beneficial to us all. That's all for The Quickie today. If you're keen to shoot us a story idea, send us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Thank you.